Welcome to Chi Alpha at Texas Tech University. The messages in this podcast were designed to encourage you and to challenge you in your walk with Jesus. We're so excited that you're here, and we hope that this message will help you to better fight for God's kingdom with us. I'm Rob. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I thought about trying to say everybody's name in here at once back to you since you all said my name. It just doesn't work. I can't even. I can't even. I wish I could. But I was thinking about this is hot. This mic is hot. Thank you. It is warm in here. Uh, earlier, I was wearing these jeans, and I was like, man, if I could make these jorts, I would. But I couldn't because there were no scissors or knives around to be found. Cody wasn't in here. He says he knows me. I know him to be a man who carries a knife, but where were you, man? So here I am, rosy-cheeked and ready. I like what Paige said. We're going to bless the Sox Office of Missionaries. And uh, me and Garrett were talking about it back there just a minute ago. We got a new slogan for this year. No more socks 2019. Right? Right. Cool. You know what? To make up for not being able to say everyone's name at the same time, because for some reason that is causing like a short circuit in my brain, I really can't even begin to think how I would start to say that word. Uh, Do you guys like books? Cool. Read some books. Cool. Okay, who remembers what Nick talks about last week? Anybody remember what Nick talked about last week? Miranda. It's not what you put in your body that defiles you, but what comes out that defiles. A cup can only spill what it contains, right? Okay, so he issued a challenge last week to have some Morgan mornings or afternoons or evenings, whenever they happen, some Morgan time and some. Hey, Morgan. There he is. Some Morgan time or some Korean coffee time. Okay, so show of hands real quick. Who did that? Who got to do that? Whoa. Dang. Dang. Hey, Andrew Oak, you said you did it? Cool, come here. All right. I've got, it's like, we're, this is like a game show. I like game shows like Jimmy Fallon and Ellen. They do good game shows. So here, this is a hard game show. Can you tell me something good from your time during Morgan morning? A different good thing. Tell me. Um, well, uh, throughout small group, I always talk about the importance of a community and fellowship. And it just brought another reason why. We can all come serve the Lord together. We went to Panera Bread. Yeah. Uh, a nice bagel or two. Yeah. But yeah, it was great. We went to Panera at like 7.30 in the morning. I showed up at 8 because I'm... Yeah. Um, you still showed up. I still showed up. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. And it was cool. We just all chilled in the red. Nice. And, yeah. Cool. Okay, Andrew. You get to choose one of these books to read next time either in your bed at home or with your friends at Panera. <laughs> they look similar, don't they? Which one do you want? What are they? Okay, cheers. Oh. Yeah. Cool. 
Panera Bread, that is a very Brandon Richard thing to do. Morgan morning at Panera. Unlimited coffee. You heard it here first, folks. Unlimited coffee at Panera Bread. On Brandon. Bless your socks off 2019. No more socks. We hate socks. So the week before Nick spoke, we were outside, and there were some people on campus who spoke their mind. They did. But Garrett also spoke his mind. Does anyone, can anyone tell me, so you don't have to come up here to tell me this, but the first person who can jump out to the nearest aisle and tell me, what did Garrett teach us about love? Dang, here you go. Come here, come here, come here. You don't have to answer anything, but you get a book. Yeah. See a need, fill a need. Love finds a need and meets it. That is such a good thing. Well, now that we've recapped the last couple of weeks, we're done. You can go home. We'll see what happens. Just kidding. So Garrett talked about what love does, but tonight is about what love is. I'm so glad you want me to show you because I'm going to. God bless foreigner. Love the foreigner. Right, guys? So tonight we are talking about what love is. And love is unselfishly choosing for the highest good of another. If you want to remember that, there it is. Write it down. You see it? You got eyes that work? You do. <laughs> cool. So now I'm going to tell you why we know that's what love is. Because if I just said that and you're like, well, I guess Rob seems like a cool guy. Maybe we'll listen to him. Cool. That's all right. But uh, in case you're not like that or you're also a learner and you're like, you know, that sounds good. And I kind of like how I like how it looks on the screen. The colors are nice. I will write this down. And remember it. It's good to know why you believe what you believe. So we're going to jump in tonight to see where in scripture does this is this shown this shown Luke 10:25 is where we're going to start and it goes like this one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question here it goes teacher what should i do to inherit eternal life Jesus replied what does the law of Moses say and how do you read it or how do you interpret it the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you'll live. Cool. So y'all, if you're around me very long, you will hear me talk about, especially the first part of that, which Nick got to talk about last week, about loving God with your mind. I also love obedience because I like to do what I'm told. I was the rule follower. Sorry. I'm just that guy. I was the second child. But I love obedience. And what I love so much is if you read the Old Testament, you see lots and lots of rules. And what Jesus does and what this guy just says himself is that this is the greatest commandment. And it breaks it down from like hundreds of different things to just a few things. And that makes it way easier for Rob to understand, which means it makes it way easier for Rob to obey. So thank goodness. So tonight, we are talking about this thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
Because this is tough. Why? Because people are difficult. So what does Jesus mean? Who, who's my neighbor? Like, does he mean just like the people who live literally next door? Like my next door neighbor? Or does he mean all the people in your dorms? Like, who is he talking about here? Because if we can figure that out, then we can know how to be obedient. So this guy, this religious law expert, he asks a great question. Quote, religious law expert. Yeah, but who is my neighbor? So maybe he's thinking like you and me. Man, I've only got a couple of neighbors. That'd be really nice if Jesus was like, yeah, there's people right next to you. Oh, cool, I can do that. I live next to some nice people. That would make this really easy. But then Jesus goes and acts like he's God or something. He answers this question in typical Jesus fashion without just a straight answer, but a story. And not just any story. He picks a wild one. Like, buckle up. What is about to happen? And you might read in your Bible, just under what we just read, there's probably a heading that says, The Good Samaritan, which, does anybody know what that means? Like, it's obviously someone who is good, but that doesn't really, like, strike you? Cool. That's because we don't live in the context of this story. <laughs> so here's what this would have been like if Jesus had announced this story to the people in the room if he had said, well, let me tell you a story of the Good Samaritan, what they probably would have heard is, let me tell you the story of the good Nazi who cared about the Jew to a room full of Jews at a time when the Nazis were at their highest power. How well would that go over? Not good. And to quote Yoda, not good. So it almost goes without saying that literally everyone in the room is probably like, uh, what? Jesus, who do you think you are saying something like this? And they are zoned in because they have no idea what's about to happen. So Jesus jumps into this story. And he says, there's this Jewish man who is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. For our sake, I want you to know that to travel from Jerusalem to Jericho, there is an actual road that Jesus is talking about. It's about 18 miles long. And to go from Jerusalem to Jericho, it's a decline. You drop about a mile or a half a mile along the way. So 18 miles with a half a mile drop. It's a pretty good walk downhill, but when you're coming back, it's pretty tough. It is not a very pleasant road. It's pretty narrow, pretty rocky. You can see it here. There's some places where it's like if you slip and fall, it's like Paladuro, rest in peace. Maybe the coyotes will find you. So this Jewish man is walking along this road. But get this. Suddenly this guy is jumped by bandits. They strip him of his clothes, beat him up, and leave him for dead beside the road. So I want you to also know about this road that this is a notoriously sketchy road throughout history. G. Campbell Morgan, our boy G. Campbell Morgan... I was reading something he said about the story, and he references this English guy who goes to this road because he's like, I want to see the road that Jesus was talking about. Almost 2,000 years after Jesus is telling this story about the road, this guy goes, and guess what happens to him? He gets jumped by bandits. This is a bad place to be. Gosh, sketchy roads, man. So this Jew is walking along from Jerusalem to Jericho on this sketchy road. He gets jumped by bandits. They strip him of his clothes, beat him up, and leave him for dead. This is not a good start to a story for a Jewish person. It just so happens that a little after he's left for dead, 
a priest comes walking by. So for our sake, for our sake think a Jewish pastor of probably something similar to this guy's church. So this guy's strolling along, and he's like, man, this road is kind of dangerous, but I'm a priest. I don't have any money. Nobody wants anything from me. They're kind of superstitious. What is that? Uh, I don't think I want to mess with whatever that is. And keeps walking along while this guy's over in the ditch like, so good on you, Mr. Pastor Man, for walking by your Jewish bro. A little bit after that. So for some reason, this road is pretty highly traveled this day. A temple assistant, which this is the guy who's always at church, works on the church, works at the church, but isn't the pastor, but basically kind of. Like, you may know him better than the pastor. So he comes walking along, and he's like, what is that over there? And he like kind of comes close, but like, you know, you keep your footing in case it's something that's going to jump out at you. You want to be ready. So he's kind of looking, he's like, oh, that's a guy. And he like, he like looks at him. He's like, man, he's in rough shape. You okay, man? No. Uh, not today. And walks off. So way to go, bro. Leave your boy in the ditch. He's getting a good tan now. So this guy walks along the other side of the road. There are parts of this road, if you've, have you guys, you guys have been in the sub, right? So there's that horrible part in the sub that is for people who are handicapped. And I feel so bad for them because I, it's always just a bunch of people walking up and it's that part right past where you walk in and all the food is on your left. And then there's that little slope up that for some reason is a funnel. Who designed that? Because what always happens is you get to the end and it's always like, oh, sorry, oh, sorry. And then there's the one person who's blasting something in their headphones and they're spinning around with their backpack and you're like, I can't even get through here. There's parts of the road that are like that. So had this guy been in those parts of the road, these guys are not nearly walking away from him and around him, but they're like, I don't think I want to mess with this guy today. This poor guy who's lying dead in the middle of nowhere, almost dead. This gets worse, because about this time, there is a despised, evil, dirty, rotten Samaritan who comes along. This is not looking good for this guy. And when he sees the man, Jesus says he was moved with compassion. If you want to do a quick study in Greek, that word compassion is actually kind of a funny one because it means it was like he was pulled by his bowels, which kind of sounds funny, but you guys know the feeling when there's like that, that gut feeling where you're like, I have to do something about this. Like I am pained because of it. Like that's what the word means. And so he says he sees this guy who by every reason of his culture, he should hate. He should be like, good on you. But instead he's moved with compassion. He goes, he goes over and looks at the guy like the temple worker did. So, so far he's done everything the other two guys did, except he's got compassion. And then he starts tending to these guys, this guy's wounds He's, he's got a donkey with him, so I'm assuming he gets off the donkey at some point because I'm not going to walk a donkey 18 miles. I'm going to ride the donkey. And so he's cleaning up this guy's wounds. He picks him up, this nasty, stinky, naked dude, and he puts him on his donkey, covers his wounds, bandages him up, and then he walks along his donkey for we don't know how long. We don't know if it was uphill or downhill, but potentially he could have just put this guy in the desert heat on his donkey and walked 18 miles uphill with this guy that he should hate. Doesn't stop there. He goes to like this inn, which is basically like old style bed and breakfast, 
And he continues to tend to his wounds, but he's got stuff he has to go do. So the next day, he goes to the innkeeper, and he's like, hey, man, here's a few hundred bucks. It's all that I have from the last few days of work. I've got to go to work. He goes, but take care. Use his money to take care of this guy. And if he needs more, I will come back into town. And when I do, I'll cover whatever it is. Wow. So that's why he's the Good Samaritan. So at this point in the story, these people have just been told the story of the good Nazi who loved the Jew at the height of the Third Reich. And so they are probably speechless. Some of them are probably pissed. And they're sitting there just waiting for what's going to come next. And then Jesus asks them a question in response to their question and says, Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? That would be a crappy question to hear because you know the response. And so the expert of religious law doesn't even want to say Samaritan because that's how like, irritated he is by this story. He says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes. Now go and do the same. <laughs> Man, Jesus had some high standards for things, didn't he? People, he's like, well, who's my neighbor? Is it these two people? And Jesus is like, well, what if it was the people that you could actually hate? What if those were the people that this law is talking about? And it's like that escalated very quickly. So how do you know if somebody is your neighbor? I'll tell you. It's the person that you are in a position to help. If you are in a position to help somebody, they are your neighbor. And I'm not talking about if you can convince yourself to be in a position. Because the priest and the, the tip worker, they could have been like, well, I could help him, but I've, I've got to go to work. Uh, that ain't it. So this guy, the Samaritan, if he could do this, if the standard Jesus is setting is he could do this for somebody he hated... What I want to talk to you about tonight is then how much easier is it to do this for the people you actually care about, right? For the people who are your friends. Not the, I'm not asking you to go to like, like your enemy right now and be like, you know what, I'm going to help you out. But I'm talking right now about seeing this at the first level, which is with the people you care about already. Because this very easily could have been the story of the good priest or the good temple worker. So what we're talking about tonight, so I want to clarify, because there's kind of like grades of how to love somebody and how to care for somebody. What we're talking about tonight is different than like test day where everybody's sitting down. Man, this happens to everybody at least once. I'm convinced. It happened my very last semester. I walk into a class. I'm like, roll, I just rolled out of bed. Like, you know, those kind of days. It was an 8 a.m., my bad. So I roll into class and I like open the door, everybody's sitting down and all of a sudden I'm like, why do they all have scantrons? Mm, there's a test today. And I'm like scrambling. I'm like looking around like, hey, anybody got a pencil? Anybody got a scantron? And always there's somebody like the one really good student who you want to be in a group project with because they'll do everything. That student is like, yeah, I've got an extra scantron and a pencil. Here you go. That's really kind. That's helping somebody out who's in a desperate time of need at that moment. But that's not exactly what we're talking about today. Because that's giving out of your excess. That's like helping somebody out, which is really kind. But we're talking about is a lot more sacrificial tonight. 
So this is this love, this unselfish choosing for the highest good of another, is sacrificial, but it's also joyful, and it goes above and beyond. You see, the Samaritan didn't just pull this guy out of the ditch after bandaging him and be like, "Cool, you're good to go now, right?" He instead puts him on his donkey, walks alongside his donkey, goes to the inn, pays the innkeeper, and then is like, hey man, if he needs anything else, I'll cover it. Without any relationship, without anything like that, that is above and beyond, if you ask me. So this kind of love does not come when it is convenient, but it also does not come when you have a bad attitude. If you have a bad attitude when you're doing something like this for somebody, it's not really what we're talking about tonight. So practically, what can this look like? Because I don't see a lot of guys laying dead on the side of dirt roads while I'm walking my donkey. But what I have done is I've like helped people move. I bought people's groceries or meals when like they can't. Uh, there was a time where we had a friend who needed some money real quick for his tuition. And there's a lot of people here who got together and went and sold their plasma to make sure that happened. People who are having car troubles, if you've ever seen like the... There's a poor old lady one time outside of Walmart who had like six baskets full of groceries and I was like, how are you thinking this was gonna work? And some of them were like 25 pound, like dog food and cat food bags. And I'm like, poor lady, like if you got hit by a breeze, you might burst into dust. And you help them, you know? So I'm sure you're thinking right now of times where you've helped people who were inconvenient. We're like, Moving is a necessary thing, but for the people who aren't doing the moving, it's like an inconvenient thing for your friend to do. Like, you love them, and so you do it. Like, a few of us helped Morgan and Bailey move the other day, and I'll, if you guys want to move tomorrow, I'll come help you. I'll happily do it, because I love you. I know y'all don't, Bailey doesn't want that to happen, Morgan. Stop trying to move, y'all just moved. Morgan, stop. But I would help you. It's not convenient, but I'd do it. So we can all think of those times because sometimes, we, like, you're like, I'm the hero. I helped that poor little lady. She is probably not a dust in the wind yet because I helped her with those bags of food. <laughs> I don't know what my problem is. Sorry, everyone, for that terrible illustration. <laughs> but can you think, not just of a time that you have helped somebody who is inconvenient, but can you think of a time that you were the inconvenient person? You might like have some trouble with this one, but you do intrinsically know that this is something that's widely respected. If you remember the, the internet before everything was memes, which some of them are great, so I'm not complaining too much. But if you can remember, and you can still see them if you follow enough older people on Facebook, if you even have one, but there's those things that are posted like, a real friend is the one who's there in the tough times. And you're like, oh man, that's good. And then at some point a girl will post, if you don't love me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. And all her sisters are like, oh, oh! And all the guys are like, dang, what does that mean? What is the worst? I gotta figure that out so I know if I can do it. But people say stuff like that, and it's really cheesy when it's written in angsty letters on some crappy, like, pixelated, thousand-times shared image that you have to share, otherwise you'll never find love. <laughs> but it's widely respected. But I want you to be thinking about a time that you were the inconvenient person, and I'll tell you a great one about me. 
because I have been inconvenient. If you don't believe me, allow me to explain. <laughs> so let me tell you a story about uh, mine and Mariah's red Xterra. But not just our Xterra, but my friend Kyle Murphy. Kyle Murphy, I believe we have a picture of me and him, which, there's Rob with hair. Man, what a good looking guy. Dang. Babe, I see what you saw in me. Yep. Man, long-term investment. If the hair was the thing, sorry. So that's Kyle. Kyle Murphy, man, he's hilarious. I hope everybody gets a chance to be around Kyle Murphy or at least meet somebody like him. Because he's just a, a hoot and a half, which is something he would say. He's like an, a hilarious old grumpy man, but in like a happy younger guy's body. So Kyle Murphy, he was around Sam Houston around the same time I was. Then he graduated and he went overseas to Greece for a little while. He comes back. Long story short, somehow me and my best friend Chris get to live with this guy for like a year and a half. And then it gets even better. So during that time of living with him, I get engaged. I'm like, hey guys, want this house we're living in. Can you guys move out? They're like, yeah, we can move out, I guess. And so then they did the best thing they could have done and moved literally across the street. So my boys are still across the street and Saturdays are for the boys. So I could go over there. So there was one day I was over there. I think it was like April 16th of like 2016 or something like that. Something like that. You know, ballpark. It might have been exactly that day. I want to describe this day to you because it wasn't like here. So there... In Huntsville, it was about 99 degrees with about 200% humidity and not a cloud in sight. And so I'm over at Kyle Murphy's house, which is right across the street from mine. And I'm like, hey, man, what are you up to today? And he's telling me all the stuff that he's got to get done. He's got like a real big boy job where he's like kind of working in the oil field, all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm thinking of like buying in some books today. That'd be cool. And he's like, yeah, I got to do all this actual stuff, Rob. About that time, Mariah's backing out of our driveway, which for some reason is like the side of Mount Everest. It's like this. Like, I'm gonna get in the car. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna back up. She's backing out and she's turning to go on the street and there's this horrible metallic snap that I hear and Kyle hears, we're in his, we're in his garage and we hear this snap and immediately both of us are like, huh? And the Xterra is sitting in a very weird position. We have a picture of what we saw. <laughs> that is a wheel, not where it's supposed to be. That is almost inside the engine. At the very bottom of our Mount Everest driveway, hanging out in the street, is our car that is now a three-legged dog in a four-legged race. <laughs> Kyle's like, we're looking at it, and I'm like, I don't even know what to do. Uh, Kyle's like, yeah, man, I think that's your ball joint. That's bad. I'm like, yeah, how bad? And he goes, well, it's real bad. Uh, it's, yeah, this is not good, Rob. So my option suddenly became, well, to move my car either 15 feet to my driveway or to an auto parts store, I've got to call a tow truck, which if you, this is the biggest racket in the world, let me drive a truck 15 minutes and I'll charge you 800 bucks. That's how it is in Huntsville. And so they're going to charge me like 800 bucks. I'm talking about insurance. They're like, we don't cover this. I'm like, oh, ouch. So record service, super expensive. Part, super expensive. If you buy it from a person who's going to work on your car, and then they're going to charge you another like 
thousand, fifteen hundred bucks to fix it, and it's going to be like a week. So I make all these phone calls, and I'm immediately just like, man, this is a bad situation. And Kyle says, hey, we're going to get it done. I said, oh, whatever that means. So for the rest of the day, me and Kyle are out there. There's another picture of what we looked like. Um, <laughs> there we are doing something. <laughs> because what do you do with a car that has three tires? Well, I'll tell you, we figured out a way to put it on some rolling uh, jacks and pull it up the driveway while somebody's driving and other people are pulling the jacks, which I don't recommend doing. It was terrifying. We got it up there. And then a buddy of mine who lived down the street, Justin, He's like, hey, man, he, he's like, drives by, looks at us, kind of laughs, rolls down his window. He's like, yeah, man, I was going to tell you, I've been hearing your ball joints squeak for a while. And I was like, thanks, man. If you ever hear it again, just let me know. He's like, but hey, uh, I'm off work now. I've fixed a few of these. I can come over and fix it. I'll just charge you parts if you just, like, give me dinner or something. I'm like, what? So with the help of Kyle and with the help of Justin, we got my car in the driveway, and the next day we had a functioning car. While we're standing in the million degree weather, because it's 99 but feels like literally infinity, is what the weather channel said. <laughs> I'm looking at Kyle, who's drenched in sweat, getting nothing that he needed to do done. And I say, I am so sorry. Thank you so much for doing this. And he put his hand on my shoulder, as Kyle always does, and in his wise old man in a young body way, says, man, of course. This is just what family does. This is just what family does. That's what he said to me. He got nothing done that day except getting my stupid three-wheeled car back in the driveway. He didn't even get dinner out of it. I was super inconvenient. I had nothing to offer. But Kyle loved me and unselfishly chose to help me. Because you see, when your priorities about people and time are right, then you always have time for the things that matter. And Kyle had it right. Thank God he had it right. Otherwise, I might still be there. So this is just what family does. So I want to help you out. Because if you don't have a lot of self-awareness, you might be thinking, man, I'm really not that inconvenient of a person. And I think generally you're probably not, but if you really think that you're not inconvenient, I want to meet you, congratulate you for somehow surviving from roughly zero to 15 years old. Because if you've been around little kids, they are inconvenient. Like you can't do anything for yourself. So if you don't think you're an inconvenient person, just trust me, you have been especially if you don't know it. But, thankfully, in the kingdom of God, love is unselfishly choosing for the highest good of another. And it's with joy that we get to do these things. Where else can we see this? If, if we say God is love, then this probably has to be seen in God's character, that unselfishly choosing for the highest good of another, right? Yeah. So, you can see this this idea marks basically the whole story of Scripture. If you go back to the very beginning of Scripture, you've all heard about Adam and Eve, and they really messed everything up, like, pretty bad. So, thanks Adam and Eve, now we all have sin nature, and our relationship with God was broken. Thanks, guys. Um, yeah, they messed everything up. They were definitely inconvenient. As a result, we became inconvenient. 
But if you read about 15 chapters, really about 12 chapters in from where that happens, you see this weird thing happen, and sometimes people miss this, but this is such a big deal. So God shows up to this guy Abraham. Y'all probably heard of Father Abraham. He had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. God made a covenant with Abraham. And I won't go super in-depth with what a covenant is. That's a whole nother talk. But it's just like it's... Think of a contract and then think of infinitely higher than a contract. That's what a covenant is. So if that doesn't make any sense, we'll talk about it later. But what happened is their covenant was like you only made this if you really meant it. And so what they did, God has promised Abraham a whole lot of stuff. He's promised like basically salvation is going to come through your line. And Abraham's like freaking out. He doesn't have any kids. He's like, yeah, but how is that going to happen if I don't have any kids? What are you going to do, Jesus? Like, how are you going to make this happen? And so God says, hey, we're going to make a covenant. And what this looked like is they took several different animals and split them in half and put them on each side of basically a little aisle, which sounds kind of gruesome, but here's the reason why. So in those times when people made this kind of covenant, this was very symbolic. They would both, as they were saying their part of the covenant, they would walk through these carcasses. And what they were saying is if I don't uphold my end of this deal, then I might as well be like these animals. Like my life is forfeit if, this doesn't, if I don't hold up my end. But here's what happened that day. God came down and he went through and did not make Abraham go through. And so the covenant that was made was God saying, I will bring about salvation and I will fulfill my promise to you. And if you don't hold up your end of the deal, then I will be made like these. And if I don't hold up my end of the deal, I will be made like these. That's crazy. And so what this culminated in is the cross. In 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. In Romans, you can see that, how does God love us? While we were inconvenient, ugly, wicked sinners, Christ died for us. <laughs> so that's kind of how God shows this to us. And by kind of, I mean, this is how God shows this to us. That love is unselfishly choosing for the highest good of another. And if you really love yourself or love somebody, you'll take it a step further and you'll say that you will unselfishly choose for the highest good of God and his kingdom. Because that's ultimately the highest good for all of us. So check this out. This is an unpopular opinion in our culture. People don't like one asking for help. I, even I am bad at this. Mariah the other day was like, Rob, I know you have a lot to do. Please just ask me to help. And I'm like, but how? <laughs> <laughs> what if I told you that it is unloving to not ask people for help? What if I took it a step further and said it is unloving when your friend says, hey, you want to come eat with us? And you're like, I can't, don't have any money. And they're like, no, I asked, do you want to come eat with us? I will cover you. And you're like, no, I'm not going to come. That's unloving. Your friends don't offer to pay for you because they think you're a bum, but they want to be with you. 
And they're unselfishly choosing for your highest good. So it's pride that won't ask for help. It's pride that won't accept help or ask for it. There's a great, I want you guys to watch this video because it's very important you guys understand this. I come to my favorite hot dog stand And the dude said, you come here all the time Here's one for free I said, man, what I look like A charity case I took it and threw it on the ground I don't need your handouts I'm an adult Please, you can't buy me hot dog, man <laughs> Andy Samberg's an idiot. Do you guys see how dumb that was? He's lost out a free hot dog. He said, I'm not a charity case, I'm an adult. Do you guys saw how dumb that was? When, you, when we start talking to you guys about like salt and stuff and you're like, man, I don't think I can do it. And somebody looks at you and they say, but I will help you do it. And you say, no, no, I don't accept charity. Or no, no, I'll do it on my own, but that means I won't be there. You're basically, you need to remember Andy Samberg because that's what you look like. You're throwing a free hot dog to the ground. And you're being prideful and not accepting love. And when you do that, you deny somebody the ability to unselfishly choose for you. Which is not friendship. Isn't that crazy? That to accept somebody's blessing is to allow them to love you. Man, I want people to love me, so I'm not going to deny those things. So your friends don't offer to pay for you because you're a charity case, but because they genuinely love you. And I don't want you guys to be prideful, ignorant Andy Sandbergs, and deny somebody the honor of honoring and serving you. So here's what we're going to do. There's two things that I want you guys to do upon this ending. I want you to have gratitude in your heart. I want you to see that you have been the inconvenient person, and I want you to do something about it. So I want you to think of somebody who was there for you when you were very inconvenient, when you were very difficult. I want you to think of that person, and now that you've got them in your head, I want you to either call them or text them, like, basically before the night is over, and just say, Thank you for loving me at X time when I was very difficult. I am so grateful for you. Can y'all do that? Yeah. Does that make sense? Cool? Dope. Thank you. The second thing I want you to do is I want you to, but this will kind of be the first thing because later you can talk to people. I want you to break up in your small groups and I want you to be vulnerable because pride will stop you from being vulnerable. I want you to be vulnerable and I want you to ask each other for help where you have needed it. I want you to bring up the thing that you need to ask for help for. And if you don't have anything at all, then think of the last time you did when you, you knew the friends around you and be like, I'm really sorry I didn't bring you in on that. I would like to ask for help the next time something like this comes up. And you can all look at each other and you can say, cool, thank you, I am with you, I'll help you. Cool? Because we know love finds a need and meets it. We know now that love is unselfishly choosing for the highest good of another. Cool. So then if you really, like if you exhaust everything and you've got some time left, I want you guys to talk as a small group. We've got the missions offering coming up and it is No More Socks 2019. 
And we want to be able to, every week we've been praying for a different missionary that we support. This missions offering we're going to raise is going to go so that we can support all of them for the next year and pick up another one so that we can send people across the world to reach people for Jesus. And it's going to be the way that we get to bless the socks off of those missionaries who are going to come here wearing socks. And we're going to bless them right off their little feet with his missions offering. And so the challenge is that everyone in here would raise $100 each sacrificially that you would unselfishly choose for the highest good of the missionaries and the mission of God to reach the world to come up with $100. And if $100 feels like it's like, that's eh, nothing. Cool. Sacrificially give. And come up with a plan with your small group for how that's going to happen. If you're like, I have no idea how I'm going to do that. Ask your small group leader. They can help you figure it out. Does that sound good? I'm stoked because I have been on the receiving end of this kind of love. And I've gotten to give this kind of love. And I can't wait for all of us to be doing this all the time. Because then we're all constantly being like, man, nothing's going wrong with me. Because I got a whole like hundred people who are like unselfishly choosing for my highest good. Right? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you modeled this unselfish love for us. Thank you so much that you put us in a position where we can help people. I thank you, God, that you get, give us the dignity to love people the same way that you loved us. Thank you, Lord. I pray that you would be glorified in our loving one another, that you would show us how to give sacrificially, and you would show us the joy that comes with it that you would teach us to prioritize our time and you would teach us to prioritize people so that when a need comes up, when we find that need, we are ready to sacrificially meet it. We love you, God. I pray that you would give everybody great things to ask for help with and you would give everyone great ideas for sending these missionaries across the world. We love you, God. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Texas Tech Chi Alpha. For more information, you can visit our website at ttuxa.org. Chi Alpha, baby.